The Ryan Case, 1873, is an interactive murder mystery in which you are the detective. Scour the streets, catch a killer, and have yourself a grand old time. Visit www.liveintheatre.com or call 212-780-4787. Hello, my name's Patrick, and I'm a Scream Queen. I'm a Scream Queen. And so are you! <laughs> Hello, ha to you, my beautiful screamers, and welcome to another episode of Scream Queens, the podcast where horror gets bent. This is episode 36, and tonight, Mr. Brad and I go on an adventure in a haunted hotel, chasing down buck-naked witches and drinking cocktails when we check Punch Drunk Theater Company's production of Sleep No More. And then, for a special treat, we're going to be hearing an original song from my good friend Tyler Haygood from the New York City Gay Men's Chorus, and he's going to ask you one simple question. Can you handle my scandal? And finally... The movie that's just going to make you want to stick your fist up someone's ass. The Puppet Monster Massacre. Uh, no, because the puppets and you would put your hand in the puppet. Not that kind of movie. You know what? I haven't even started it and I've gone off rails. So how about I stop talking for two minutes and play some really cool trailers in five, four, three. So you're not supposed to count in the last two. So I did. Oh, shut up. God. In a world that produces thousands of movies every year, many are terrible. For the movie viewer, these are dark times. From the internet comes a mystical and powerful force. It is called Movie Meltdown. Armed with the power of smart-ass comments and reckless abandon, a young group of rebels is the only hope to conquer the forces of evil that would destroy the planet Earth. This summer, experience the magic, the mystery, the adventure of Movie Meltdown. If you dare, look for it at MovieMeltdown.com or come search for it in the iTunes store. Movie Meltdown. Coming soon to a listening device near you. So welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Scream Queens. It's so lovely to have you guys here, as always. Oh, so much bullcrap has been going on in my life, but you know what? I'm not going to talk about much of it this week. Because just doing the show is therapy enough. And honestly, do you really want to hear me bitching about that? When I could be bitching about other people and shitty movies? Of course not. First of all, I want to thank everybody who sent me well wishes and get wells and all that other stuff over this whole ear problem nonsense. For those of you who don't know, I had an ear infection that led to my eardrum rupturing, which left me half deaf for quite a while. But I went to the ENT earlier this week, and she said that it healed so beautifully, it looked like I had never ruptured it at all. And I said, that's because fairies are magic, bitch. Said it is still a little bit congested, so it is a bit hard to hear out of that ear. But at least I'm not walking around leaning with my right, asking people to repeat themselves all the time and going, eh, what, eh, what? It did kind of make the concert a bitch, though. Yeah, that's right. The concert finally happened. Uh, my my show with the New York City Gay Men's Chorus, which um, many of you know was the Accentuate the Positive concert, which was songs about the new face of HIV and AIDS. So what happened was for this particular concert, the orchestra was not in the orchestra pit as they usually are. They were on stage with us because Charlie, our band leader, a band leader, 
chorus director wanted it to have this whole kind of ensemble, true ensemble feel that we were all big and connected, whatever. But I'm standing right in front of them. So I can't hear anybody. I can't hear a fucking thing but the orchestra and kind of of other people singing. Now what happened was we opened with this number called Sure on the Shining Night and it's beautiful and it got me emotional because I was thinking about everything that's going on with my sister and her battle with cancer and you know all this other stuff and I teared up. Fine, no big deal, except I teared up so much my contact lens went all the way to the side of my eye and disappeared somewhere in my brain. And I stood there for the rest of the concert going, this is great, so I'm half deaf and I'm half blind. This is why we do shit live. And then I spent the rest of the show terrified of all of a sudden the lens just coming back and me being like, ah, during that process. But alas, that didn't happen. But other than that, the concert was fantastic. And the highlight of it was, well, our first guest star, Freddie Walker Brown from the original cast of Rent, was amazeballs. But our other guest was this woman named Molly Stone. Molly Stone is an expert on the South African AIDS situation, as well as South African songs and music. Now gather around, kids. This is story time. Fireside chat. See, over there, apparently, there are songs to teach you how to do everything. How to tie your shoes, comb your hair, brush your teeth. Just everyday life. Everything has a song. So when apartheid was happening, their main form of resistance was through these songs because the white people couldn't be bothered to learn their language. And they were looking at this chorus and going, oh, look at all the happy black people singing and dancing. Meanwhile, they're like, kill the white people, fight apartheid, machine gun everybody down. And it's you know, big smiles and dancing, but that's, that's, that's how they toppled that empire. But what they've done since then, now their big enemy is AIDS, of course. So now all these songs from Apartheid have been adapted to deal with HIV and AIDS. And so this music is just a huge part of life in general and huge part of living with, with HIV. So much so that if you test positive for HIV in South Africa, you immediately are offered a position in the chorus. But also what happens is if you happen to test positive for HIV, you'll be sitting in the doctor's office... Oh my gosh, I'm so nervous. The doctor doesn't come in to see you first. The chorus comes in. They offer you a position and they sing you songs. And then when they're done, they go home with you and they sing to your family about the situation. Now, in my head, I was like, that's a lot. Like, I'm picturing sitting in the office and all of a sudden there's like 20 people like barging in like, ha la 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 And I'm like, oh... Now, now we're all gonna go home with you, yay! And we're gonna sing to your family, yay! But... If you look at it this way, these songs, like I said, have been adapted from the fight against apartheid. So, and that's something that they beat. That was a huge fight that was won. So these are songs of hope and inspiration and it's cool is what I'm saying. And now I can speak South African. Which is a tongue twister, which essentially means, hey... What do you think you're doing chopping that meat up into such small pieces like you own it? What does that have to do with AIDS? Nothing, except, well, initially it's supposed to teach you how to do the, the clicks properly because the three different kinds of clicks, but it also teaches kids who have tested positive how to eat better later on in the song. But, you know, are we here to talk about this? No. But here's one thing I do have to say about this whole AIDS in South, uh, South Africa situation. Okay, I get it. The chorus thing, it's beautiful. It's working for them. Wonderful, except I'm picturing in my head it happening here. And I'm sitting in the doctor's office like, oh my god, 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 oh my god. The door opens and the whole fucking cast of Glee comes in. And it's not bad enough that you're just finding out that you have HIV, but you got this room 
full of grinning, bubbly motherfucking idiots singing, you're just testing positive, don't worry, you're gonna live, screaming in my face, fuck off, Leah Michelle, you and your fucking man hands, shut up, I hate, I hate, I hate them, there, I said it, I just made a huge confession, and I'll probably be shunned by a lot of you now, but I am a gay man who hates Glee. And you don't understand. When I heard that show was coming out, I was like, ooh, I can't wait. It's going to be fantastic. I saw the coming attractions. Oh, my God, it's going to be amazing. The first episode, I was like, huh. And then the longer it went on, the more stupid and obnoxious and insulting it got. And now I want them all to die because they're everywhere. I mean, for Christ's sake, last year at the fucking Tonys, the cast of Glee was there. I'm like, why the fuck are you here? You're not up for anything. But they kept showing them, like, every third, every time the camera moved, every third camera shot was the cast of Glee. I'm like, fuck off! And every time you hear about them, oh, the, the cast of Glee was at Magic Mountain. No, oh, the cast of Glee was at Elton John's birthday party. And the cast of Glee was at McDonald's today. The cast of Glee went to an opening of a fucking envelope. So I'm just picturing, do you all live together? Do you all sleep together in one big bed? Do you go to the bathroom together? I just hate them! Just all die together while you're at it! <sighs> so Bradford and I went to the theater last weekend, and we got to see Silence! Exclamation point. Which is the unauthorized parody musical of The Silence of the Lambs. Now, I saw this several years ago when it was at the New York City Fringe Festival. And my old friend Jeff Hiller is in it. And it is dirty. And it is raunchy. And it is wrong on just about every level. And it's brilliant. So, if you guys or any of you are in the New York area, I would highly recommend getting tickets to Silence! Exclamation point Because they're not going to last long. Joan Rivers was there. Yeah, and we were following her out. You know, when the show was over, we were right like five or six people behind her. And all of a sudden, Mr. Brad looks on the ground. He's like, oh, my God, she dropped her purse. And he grabs it. And he's like, wait, Miss Rivers, you dropped your purse. And she turns around. And she was like, oh, that's my uterus. And it was. Well, boy, was he embarrassed. Am I still on Vicodin? And if you Google, you can hear some of the demo recording because a lot of that's been out for a while. Um, I know Zombart's a big fan of it. I could say this to you guys, because all of you live in fucking Timbuktu and shit. The most amazing part of it. The director's like, what did he say to you? Multiple megs in the next cell. He hissed something at you. What did he say? And Clarice is like, he shit. He shit, I can smell your cunt. And Dr. Lecter says, I unfortunately cannot. But if I could smell her cunt, and it's this beautiful gorgeously sung aria called If I Could Smell Her Cunt. And not only that, it turns into the If I Could Smell Her Cunt Dream Ballet with Dream Lecter and Dream Clarice clad in purple sequins doing this ballet choreography that basically involves any opportunity, any and every opportunity to get her vagina wafting past his face. I guess so he can get a big sniff. So go and check out the demo reel if you want to, but realize it's not, it's all of it's sung by the composer doing all the roles, and he's not a great singer, but the cast album's coming out soon! Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, I'm gonna see if I can get Jeff on this show, because he's in everything. You'll know him if you saw him, because this bitch is in everything. 
And speaking of Zombart, Zombart was in New York City this past weekend. Yeah, yeah. He went to him and his girlfriend went to see the Bengal Tiger, the, the, the whatever that is, the Robin Williams thing that was on Broadway that just closed. And they stopped by to check out my show, The Ryan K's 1873. And I know he called in, so I'm going to save most of that story for later. Sorry, that was Mr. Brad on the phone. I hung up on her. Anyway, but since I'm sure we're going to hear all about was, was everything with Zombard, from Zombard himself, I have to tell you about something he didn't see. Now, there's a girl, Dina, in the show, and she plays Sally Watkins, who is, well, she's a whore. You know, she stands out on the street corner and tries to get people to go around the corner with her and all that stuff. But she came back after her first show, and she's like, do you know what just happened? I'm standing out there on my corner, and there's this well-dressed Asian woman and her little two-year-old girl, you know, waiting for the lights to change. And, you know, I'm not paying any attention, but the woman was, you know, bent over and looked like she was adjusting the bottom of the girl's skirt, you know, like you do. But then they left, and I realized that the little girl had taken a dump on the sidewalk. Just shat right out of the street. And Elena, who plays my wife, is like, oh, yes, well, you know, they do that over there in Asia. You know, the, girl, the children don't wear any uh, you know, pants under their dresses, and they just poop right there. And Dean is like, I don't care what they do in Asia. She shat where I work for the next three hours. I had to act with a pile of human feces. So every time a group three came through, I just kept staring at this pile of human feces that I have to act with. And I said, well, you should have made it a clue. It looks like the killer had been eating corn. She's like, fuck you. And I'm like, yeah. And then I said, oh, my friend Zombart's coming in for the next show. Maybe you can get him to step in it. She's like, I like that idea. I'm like, you'll like it even better after you meet him. We'll talk more about that later. Oh, hey, happy 4th of July, everybody. A little bit late. I hope everybody had fun. Because you're a firework. No, oh, that's a fucking Glee song. Fuck them. Bradford and I went to a barbecue at Rich from the Dark Side Meetup Group's uh, pad over on Roosevelt Island. And I think some of you might remember me making fun of Roosevelt Island back in the episode where I reviewed Vanishing on 7th Street or whatever the hell that movie was called. But it was great and it was nice. And um, it reminded me of something I forgot. Now... Weeks ago, we had all gone to see Super 8. You know, Meef, Meef, me, Bradford, and, you know, uh, Rich, and his girlfriend, Nix, and all these people from the meetup group. And I forgot something that had happened. See, now, Nix, she's a very interesting character. She very much embraces the dark side. Not just the group, but, I mean, the dark side in general. She's very in touch with all that stuff. And she wears it well. She says to me, oh, I have to show you this art that I bought. This artist is amazing. He's so talented. Oh, you're going to love it. And she's fuddling with her phone. And we're in the lobby of the movie theater, so I'm still futzing with my tickets. And she's like, oh, yes, here's the picture. And I look at it, and it, all I saw was, like, penises and anuses and blood and screaming. And I was like, I shrieked in the middle of the lobby. She's like, ah! Because I actually hadn't heard anything she was talking about. And the next thing you know, there's, like, devil penises wagging in my face. Which hasn't happened to me, you know, at least a week. But not the point right now. And she's like, oh, what are you so shocked for? I thought you would have... I'm like, no, 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 no. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's just that I was not mentally prepared to see a devil fucking another devil 
who's getting blown by another devil, who's fucking the first. It was this whole devil fucking on. And she had like picture after picture after picture. And each one was more shocking to the little Catholic grammar school boy inside of me than the one before. And for making me scream like a little girl in the middle of the Lowe's Kipps Bay Multiplex Theater, you, Miss Nix, are the scream queen of the week. Congratulations. Well, it's posthumous. Well, you're not dead, but you know what I mean? But congratulations, congratulations, and congratulations. And that's all you're getting. No tiara. That's probably the same in English and Spanish. No tiara. There will be no tiara for you. The tiara is only for me. So now I want to let you guys in on something that I've been working on um, for quite some time now. I mentioned it on the page a while ago. A lot of you may remember the Buffy sing-along that toured in several cities around the country for some time. If you don't, it was awesome. It was like Rocky Horror, but with the Once More We're Feeling episode of Buffy. And tragically, Fox pulled the rights for it when it was at, at its peak. It was growing and growing and growing, and then just yanked the rights for it and said, No, you can't do this anymore. Blah. And since then, you know, people have just... It's been, it's, been, it's been a really sad thing for me. I said, I missed that. That was great. And all of a sudden, I found out that they will sell you the rights if you're doing it as a fundraiser for a charitable organization. So I want to bring it back to New York City for one night. I have a couple of potential charities in mind for what it's going to be a fundraiser for, but... So I've been connecting with all the people I need to uh, talk to, getting things ready. But now hold on. Before anybody gets too excited, I have not procured the rights from um, Criterion yet. I've written them an email. I haven't talked to them yet. There are other uh, restrictions and, and things I need to do before then. But nothing's carved in stone yet. Plus, there's somebody really important that I want to get on my side who is going to have no idea what I'm talking about. So I've been working on a pitch. Well, to pitch to him over coffee someday if he ever calls me back. And knowing him, he's either going to think it's a complete work of genius or he's going to have me slapped up in the booby hatch. And sitting down with this guy and explaining all this crazy idea to him, well, that's going to be the tough part for me because he scares me. Not because he's a scary person, but he's like a rock star, and I really respect him, and every time he says anything to me, I go, I don't think I've ever said anything even close to intelligent in his presence in the history of the world ever. I say the stupidest possible thing you can imagine, and then spend the next 10 minutes going, why, why, why did that come out of your mouth? So I'm, I'm anticipating a bit of a hard sell, but keep your fingers crossed, guys, because if I get it up here, I can get it up anywhere. And you know what? I realized what I was saying as I was saying it, but you know what I mean. What I mean is, if I can get a fundraiser going here, I might be able to get them going where you are, so you can experience the glory, the wonder, and the orgasmic sensation that is the Buffy sing-along event. Anyway, I have been talking for a really long time, and it is time to get this show on the goddamn road. So, slap on your best Thelma and Louise sunglasses and headscarves, and let's get ready to drive off that motherfucking cliff, bitches! Put the pedal to the metal, and let's gun it!
Okay, so the first thing we're going to be discussing tonight is... I don't even know what to call it. Well, it's got all of New York City abuzz, and it has since March. It's this event, for want of a better word, called Sleep No More, and it's been imported here from London by the Punch Drunk Theater Company. It also played Boston back in 2009. Well, I think I just gave away the identity of my special mystery guest because this experience is going to be so hard to describe, I couldn't possibly do it alone. So, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, the amazing Mr. Mr. Brad. Brad, it's so nice of you to join us here tonight. I don't know what to say. I love to be here. That's what we'd like to hear. We're having beers while we discuss this. You get to hear him burp. I get to smell him fart. I'll be editing that out. You never heard that. Anyway, we're not here to talk about my farts, are we? It's not called fart no more. It's called sleep no more. Now, what this is, in a nutshell, it's going to turn a a lot of you off immediately, but stick with us. What this is, it's a very loose adaptation of Macbeth. Oh my god, I can hear the snoring already. Do you hear that, Miss Brad? Oh, that was a pig. I'm that sorry. was a pig. That was a pig snoring. Even the pigs have been put to sleep. But wait, this is like Macbeth, like you have never seen it before. You're not seeing it. You're immersed in this shit. Don't say shit. Okay, I'll say fuck. Well, if you're a fucking immersed in this stuff. Okay. Let's start at the very beginning. I hear it's a very good place to start. Now, you get your invitation to go to the McKittrich Hotel, which, according to the stories, was built in 1939. It was supposed to be the toast of the city, but six weeks before it was supposed to open... Condemned. Condemned. And no one has ever been inside until now. Anyway, for some reason, this whole story of Macbeth has been set in this... Abandoned hotel. And what you get inside, once you go through the doors, it's this immersive experience that's like Shakespeare meets Hitchcock meets film noir meets David Lynch having sex with Kubrick on crack. And, and, and it's fucking wild. Okay, now the thing about this, when you arrive at the hotel, you're not sitting in a theater, watching a show. No, you are free to explore the six floors and hundred rooms of this hotel. You go through on your own, you have to wear masks, you're not allowed to talk, and it's a very personal experience. You make of it what you will. And so everybody who goes has a completely different experience. I saw a completely different thing than Mr. Brad saw. Isn't that right, Mr. Brad? That's very right. Now, Mr. Brad, I hear you have some facts that you'd like to share with us. Oh, yeah, fine. It's got all the things you would have expected in a 1939 hotel, like a hospital and apocryphy and uh, a detective agency. A graveyard. A bar. A forest. A candy store. An orgy room. An orgy room. I mean, um, you know, it's a typical Holiday Inn. It's like a typical, what do you call it? La Quinta. It's just like the La Quinta we stayed at a horror hound weekend. That had an orgy room. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you remember that? It was next to the waffle maker. It was called the, what, La Quinta? I mean, did for the, the Quinta? The, 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 yeah, the Quinta. They've heard that. They've heard that joke before. Anyway. Well, Charlene. Yes. So actually, there is no McKittrick Hotel. It is, you know, fabricated over 
you know, these three warehouses in the Chelsea district. And if you're smart, you'll notice that the McKittrich Hotel is an allusion to Hitchcock's vertigo. Uh, I believe... Because <laughs> somebody checks into the McKittrick Hotel at some point there. And all through the evening, you're getting... Immer- There's Hitchcock references all over the place. The music is playing all the time. Either you're getting Hitchcock themes, you're getting uh, Kubrick theme music, you're getting, you know, 1930s music, or you're just getting really fucked up suspense-type music. Now, Mr. Brad, you were with me at the Steampunk Haunted House, right? You know? I was. Now, for me, it, it, it called up a lot of that same imagery, because if you remember, those of you who were, who have been listening for a while, that had the same kind of feeling of walking through somebody else's dream or nightmare. You know what? Let's back up a minute. Let's just walk through our individual evenings. So, I have an idea of what we're in for, and as usual, I come up to Mr. Brad and I say, So, honey, do you want to go to this thing? It's kind of like Shakespeare, but it's in a hotel. It's like Shakespeare in a haunted house. And he's like, um... My usual, huh, what? Are you sure? I said, yes, we're going. And to be perfectly honest, I'm a little uneasy about the whole thing. Not that I think it's going to be scary, but I don't know if it's going to be any good. And I just think, and I know Mr. Brad, we have to wear masks the whole time. And, you know, he might not be cool with that. I know it's going to be dark in spots, and he's not always cool with that either. So we get there, and we're waiting online. We get led inside. Immediately, we're plunged into blackness. Yes, which was just a short hallway down to... The 1930s bar. Still, I immediately go into protective daddy mode because I'm like, oh, he doesn't see well in the dark, so I had to hold his little hands while we're walking through, and it was really quite sweet, actually. And I had to grab his ass. That was you? Yes. Damn it, I thought that was... Never mind. Anyway, but when you get to the lobby and you check in, everybody gets an individual playing card. And I noticed right away that our playing cards don't match. I'm a king. I'm a queen. Hello. And then we're escorted into the, this lobby bar, which is 1930s, and there's all these wonderful people swirling around in black tie and, and evening gown and pearls. And, you know, the band wasn't playing at the time, but a, a small three-piece orchestra comes out with a fabulous lounge singer for a while. And we got cocktails. And we discovered that this is how they're breaking up the crowd. There's this, this host character keeps coming up and announcing, I would like everybody who is an ace to please report to the elevator. Please report to the elevator, all the aces. So immediately going, we're not going to be in the same group. That's no good at all. So we finagled a way to get through, to go through together. I cocked back my wrist and said I was a queen too. Well, they took one look at him and they were like, girl. But now so we get our masks and, you know, these masks are reminiscent of the plague masks that they used back, that doctors used to wear back in the day. It's not just a white face mask. It's kind of like out of eyes wide shut, but it's got that long beaky nose sort of a thing. And thank God it did. Because it got hot underneath those masks. You know what? It was fucking, it, you know, even without the beaky thing, it was hot. But uh, as, we're, as we're being escorted into the elevator, we now have the creepy butler type guy who's escorting us into the elevator. And he says, all right, from now on, you know, we'd like to welcome you to the Kittridge Hotel. And we'd like you to keep your masks on at all times and to remain silent. Because we here at the Kittridge Hotel, our number one priority is our guests' anonymity. So please get into the elevator and... Anything you want to do is fine. If you like to ruffle through drawers, if you like to try on clothes you find, if you... Well, it's up to you, but just remember, fortune favors the brave. So be brave. And we're all packed onto the service elevator, and we're going through... We get to the first, you know, the first stop on the floor, and he goes, all right, everyone out. Do you remember this, Brad? Yes. And 
he lets the first three or four people out of the elevator and bam, slams the door on them. And we start going, he's like, well, that's my favorite part of the evening. So now these people are all on their own going, where's the rest of the group? So his whole idea was to split us all up as much as humanly possible. And I remind you, it was six floors. And, and I think maybe this was a good time to say everything, the detail, everything was done exquisite. I mean, once you got into the hotel, you had no idea that it was a warehouse. Absolutely or not. They had, and one of the facts I left out earlier, there was over 200 artists that were that. involved in putting all the props together for this 100 rooms. And the thing is, Brad keeps saying there's 100 rooms, but what you're not understanding is that the rooms keep changing and moving. Like, certain hallways are there sometimes, and then you go back later trying to find that room, and it's gone. It's another room. So it's got that weird nightmare quality that you can just get stuck in a loop, like I did, but that's another story. So we stayed together, got off the elevator. We were kind of, I was kind of pinched onto your, to you, going, I'm lost, I'm lost, I can't see, I can't see. Because once again, we went from a bright room into a dark room, and mm. being of my senior years, I, uh... Okay, Grandpa. But the thing is, the other thing that the guy said on the elevator, he's like, if you see someone that you're interested in, like, if one, of the, one, of the, one of the star guests, you go after them. Like, if something's interested, you go. That's what he meant by fortune favors the brave. So, going in, you knew right away that there were, from some of the reviews you read, that there were some opportunities to see... Some very interesting stuff. You had been told to kind of follow the witches, and we would experience a nice naked orgy. Yes, that was one of the tips that we got off of Foursquare. But we didn't see no witches. I'm looking around for the witches, and I'm like, where are the goddamn witches? We couldn't find the witches. We stumble in onto Macbeth and, her, and, and Lady Macbeth getting... The thing is, they don't speak. Not really. They're speaking to each other, and it's so low you can't really hear them. Or you can kind of make out words, but that adds to the whole dreamlike feeling of it. Because these people are also very—they're very physical. It's almost dance, and I don't even know how to describe this. It's like you went down the goddamn rabbit hole, and you could follow the story or not follow the story. You can go in and out of the story if you wanted to. We got separated at some point, so we have radically different experiences. I actually wound up getting through the whole thing without seeing anybody get killed. I got stuck in a loop because I kept finding myself in the same places over and over again. I was getting pissed off because I kept getting blocked off on the stairway by these fat Czechoslovakian people. You know, would find somebody interesting and everybody would be running after them and they'd stop in a narrow hallway and turn to each other and be like, and everybody like, but we can't yell at them because we can't talk. However, Mr. Brad kind of beat the system and he was finding all kinds of great stuff. Well, the way we got separated was that you were following one thing. I saw something out of the corner, and I reached to grab you and, and pull you back mm -hmm. and missed you. And we kind of, at that point, got separated because someone else walked between us, and I couldn't catch you. And then I saw this other cool thing going on, and I said, Me okay. I'm just going to go and look at this cool thing. Meanwhile, I've been running through the rest of this building and holding on to somebody else's finger. Who let me do it? Because that's the kind of place this is. Well, I think like what was what were some of the what is what were some of the more amazing things that you saw in there? Because you know, there's no way to tell the story. Yes, it's Macbeth, but it's not. It's whatever story you had in there. Because like fucking Mrs. Danvers from from Rebecca was in there. Like they made the nurse character into Mrs. Danvers and shit, and that was pretty cool. Well, I think I think it kind of helps to understand that there was there was a ballroom downstairs with people dancing. And it kind of stemmed from there. 
And there was always probably four vignettes going on at the same time. Probably. There's really no way to tell. But some of the interesting ones happened to be upstairs, there was a hospital. I saw the hospital, but nothing was going on in the hospital all the time, so please continue. Which, when I went in, was very interesting. It was, it was long, and maybe 12, 15 beds. Yeah, bed after bed after bed after bed, and then bathtub after bathtub after bathtub, like rows and rows and rows of bathtubs. It was very eerie just to walk through. And at the very end was a bathtub with a naked woman. Tub was full of water. There was some nurse that comes over and basically pulls this, this humongous sheet over the dead person. And then the dead person actually moves, which, ah! was, which was kind of... Because at first you're thinking that's not a real person. Yeah. They also had a mirror effect in there. The mirror effect kind of pulled away, and then you saw this much bloodier scene. Oh, gross. And uh, the, the, nurse pull, the nurse pulls out of there... And she takes off going at 90 miles an hour. And as Patrick said, you tagged on right behind her. And she went down four floors to another floor, took off. And then we're in another room in which we're seeing this dance between this uh, Macduff and his, mm. his love Life. interest yeah. Yeah. at the time. And they're getting naked. And they're having sex on the bed. God damn it. I miss all the good stuff. Fucking A. There was, by the way... As you can tell, there was tons, apparently, what's one of the things that's really popular about this is there's tons of blood and there's tons of nudity throughout all of this. So yes, so they're getting on. Mostly yeah. female nudity, but... Uh-huh, not on my end, but... <laughs> also, there's lot, there was lots of gay things going on. Initially, there was this whole ball going on, and I noticed that there, there was a male-male couple dancing together, and they took off hand-in-hand. Hand. I'm like, and I'm trying to tell Brad, let's go follow them! And, you know, you can't talk, and he's going the other way. Anyway... But, like I said, I kept getting stuck behind these awful people, and I kept seeing the same thing over again. I got to see the fucking pregnant woman get poisoned by late Mrs. Danvers like 150 times. I'm like, all right, I get it. You're pregnant and you're poisoned. Drop the baby, bitch. Drop <laughs> the baby. I just had a spontaneous subversion and the latest turlet. But, um, anyway, but well, the thing, however, with the, thing, with the two things that really made it for me, you know, I was having a great time exploring. I've been going through drawers like, uh, Brad was saying, like, at one point he went through this detective's office, which had this whole bird motif, you know, like, kind of like Norman Bates's office in Psycho. You see what I'm saying there? Red, Yet, when red, Brad red, went red. when Brad went through the drawers, what did he find? A big egg. All the drawers were filled with big eggs. Whereas I was in some other room, somebody's bedroom, and I started going through the drawers. I pulled open the door that's filled with dildos and syringes. Just like the La Quinta in Indianapolis. Here's your complimentary Gideon Bible and your dildo and syringe. Please call us if we can give you a toothbrush. And we'll leave the light on. We'll you. leave the light on in your ass. Oh, and one other thing that was I thought was great. I forgot all about this. It, at one point, I'm walking through one of the hotel parts of the hotel, and there was a whole row of, you know, oldie-timey phone booths, and one of the phones started ringing, and I didn't notice it at first. Then I'm like, you know what? I'm going to answer that phone. So I do, and when I pick it up, it's just his voice on the other end, like, and it was freaky at the time, and now looking back on it, I realize now it was probably a call for the Czechoslovakians. <laughs> ah! I was getting frustrated, like I said, because I kept getting stuck with awful people and getting lost and keep coming back to the same place, but then the one, at one split second, I saw Macbeth. 
and he's bolting, and he was squeezing in this really narrow corridor and trying to pull the door shut behind him. And I just went, I'm like, fortune favors the brave. I put my arm out and was like, boom, can't close the door. And he grabbed me and he pulled me and doors closes the door behind me. And now there's this really long, really narrow hall that I'm walking down with behind him. And I'm like, oh, shit, what the fuck did I get myself into? I turn a corner and, oh, my God, I found the witch's orgy. And when I say orgy, I mean orgy. There's strobe lights going. There's like the techno music, industrial music. I just say, there's a butt naked man wearing a goat head. There's the other two witches with their titties out. Macbeth gets butt ass naked, and they have a dead baby for some reason, and they're rubbing the dead baby all over. It was fucked. I mean, there's like four other people in there with me, and I'm glad I'm wearing the mask because my jaw was like. And everyone I've talked to afterwards is all saying, like, I didn't get to see that. I'm like, I saw that. And I saw Macbeth getting, I saw Macbeth naked a lot is what I'm saying. I saw him getting bathed by Miss Lady Macbeth in the big bloody tub. Well, you got to see male nudity. I got to see female nudity. I got to see lots of titties. They said the the witches were naked. Then there was the graveyard. Mm Mm-hmm. One of my favorite things happened to be the little the maze grave, of trees. The graveyard on the fourth floor of the hotel. You know, like you have. Like they have at the La Canza. Just The whole place was a maze, and they had mazes in the maze. And like I said, sometimes you go back and shit wasn't there anymore. The staircase isn't there anymore. So the whole thing was really, really hallucinatory and very exciting. And, I mean, if it wasn't $80 to go back, I would go back just to see what else, what the uh, what other story I can get out of it. But... When I was talking to a friend of mine the other day uh, who had seen it, yeah, we were talking about the masks and how hot they were. And he said, yeah, they were, but it really added to the effect that all of a sudden you realize that you're a ghost as well in this haunted hotel and you're, all, it's, it's, you're a ghost in somebody else's ghost store. And I said, oh my God. If you're in the New York area, I highly recommend getting your tickets for Sleep No More because you will have stories to tell forever and you know probably you won't be as drunk as we are though we did have cocktails while we were there for more information you can check it out at www.sleepnomorenyc.com but in general just google sleep no more nyc and check out the images i'll have some on the website but they're amazing now mr brad if you had some friends going to check out sleep no more at the infamous mckitteridge hotel what advice would you have for them wear loose clothes and be prepared to walk. Fucking A. It's a lot of walking up, up and down. If you can't hang with the people, if you miss the first person going, stay back at the stairs and wait till another person comes running down the stairs. Because if you're standing near the stairs when the next group comes, you're, you'll be right at the front. And you won't get stuck behind someone like Patrick. Like does. the fat people from Czechoslovakia. You you really that was so totally sensitive for my <laughs> for my huge Czechoslovakian office. Does Czechoslovakia even exist anymore? Are we even offending anybody? Anyway, he's absolutely right. I mean, you want to wear loose, cool clothes because it was hotter than fuck especially with these masks on and you better wear some comfortable ass shoes because you are bolting up and down stairs all goddamn night and especially if you're trying to follow these people these people are like track runners like ping they're not waiting for you fortune favors the brave and the fast and you see i have recently purchased a pair of sketchers tone-ups 
Not the shape-ups, just the tone-ups. And I swear to God, by the end of the night, I thought my ass was going to fall off. Shut up, Mr. Brad. Thank you for sneaker balls. Shut Yeah, thank God bless sneaker, sneaker balls. balls. Um, <laughs> but my favorite quote about the whole thing came from the guy... Who is in, you know, who let us in, who was running the elevator, who before he let us out says, And remember, ladies and gentlemen, if it's all too much, you can always go back to the bar. That's advice to live by, Mr. Brad. I agree. I agree too. It's too much. Go have a cocktail. I, I, we're having cocktails right Cheers. now. Cheers, baby. Thank you, honey. And thank you. We'll be right back with more craziness. Hugs and kiss. Mwah. Warning. Warning. Warning, what you are about to hear may be too scandalous for general audience. If at any time you are unable to handle the scandal, please turn off your iPod immediately. You have been warned. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, may I present Mr. Tyler Haygood. Handle my scandal. I want a strong, passionate, loving man. A smart one who will understand all my wants and all my needs. A manly man whom I can please. An AF model, that's my type. A real man who can do me right. Are you here? Are you my type? I need someone, not just tonight. When I walk in the club, I'm looking real cute Strut my stuff and look at my boots I'm turning heads and the VIP I can't see you Can you see me? I'm walking out, freaking out, stepping in love Let me bend it back, give you a show I know you're here, baby, you're my top Come and show me what you got, can you catch me my skin Can you see me? I'm 
Tyler Haygood, ladies and gentlemen. Well done, sir. I'm actually in the New York City Gay Men's Chorus with Tyler, and when I got word that he was dropping a single, well, I said, child, can I pimp your shit out on my show? And he was like, bitch, please. So there he is. And if you like what you heard, you can download Handle My Scandal in the iTunes store for just 99 cents. And be sure to check out the video, which I'm posting on the webpage, www.screamqueens.com. Now, before I get into the discussion of the Puppet Monster Massacre, I do have some bad news to impart to you guys. I spoke too soon. For you guys, I just said this like five minutes ago, but uh, the Buffy thing, dead in the water. I wrote to Criterion Pictures today and said, please, and can I have this for my charitable thing? And they sent back a one-sentence email that simply says there are no non-theatrical rights for this episode sorry capitalized in italics they took the time to capitalize and italicize sorry but didn't bother to put in any punctuation so it was just a run-on goddamn sentence which irritates me on two fucking levels bitch i've been feeling a little depressed you know i spent the last hour moping about dragging my feet laying around with the cats Go, oh, poor me. But then I decided something. I'm not giving up that easy. There must be a way. There is always a way. And since you weren't even polite with your email or write me a decent business email or even a fucking form letter, you got my ire up. You've raised my hankles. You've rumpled my fur. You've curdled my cream cheese. I am determined now that this is going to happen one way or another. Either I will find a way for your goddamn loophole, or this is going to be a springboard to an even better idea. And you will grovel at my feet, and I will look at you and I will say, Sorry! I've done a fuckload of work on this so far to just have some bitch in an office go, No, sorry! My day will come! Ooh, now I'm angry. I'm so angry, I'm going to talk about some crazy puppets. Yes, the Puppet Monster Massacre. Really, the title says it all, so why don't we just play the damn trailer? Revenge. It is the purest logic. Biblical in its perfection. Mine is a vengeance that transcends time and generation. Vengeance I will reap until their bloodlines run dry. I am owed a debt that can only be repaid in blood. And there will be blood. Blood by the bucket. Blood by the gallon. You know the funny thing is, listening to this trailer right now without the visuals, 
it sounds like every other horror movie trailer ever. A good horror movie trailer, but still nothing particularly original until... But then I feel the need to remind you that you're watching puppets. Puppets that look a hell of a lot like Muppet puppets in all these classic horror movie scenarios. And it just makes me smile, which is hard to do in a day like this. So I am going to try not to let the bad news of earlier today affect my review of the Puppet Monster Massacre because I think this is a hoot. And it's not just because of the gimmick of a horror movie with puppets. It's because of the love that went into the whole thing. It is clear in every single frame. The director, Dustin Mills, and everybody involved on it, we're all having a great time. We're really passionate about the project. Plus, they really love what they're making fun of here. They really love 80s horror monster movies. And you know what? I'm way ahead of myself because let's talk about the movie itself now. Picture it. The Golden Year of 1985. An older gentleman is walking through the forest, and what's disturbing me right off the bat is that this particular puppet of the man walking through the forest looks a hell of a lot like Uncle Travelin' Matt, you know, from Fraggle Rock. So anyway, Uncle Travelin' Matt's walking through the forest, you know, creepy night, the full moon, when all of a sudden, out from behind a tree, leaps a penguin. Yeah, a penguin in the woods. You know, like it happens. And then we're treated to this long series, or it seemed long, wonderfully long, of glances. You know, just shots of Uncle Traveler Matt staring at the penguin. The penguin staring at Uncle Traveler Matt. Uncle Traveler Matt, penguin. Penguin, Uncle Traveling Matt. Uncle Traveling Matt, penguin. And it's funny because they're puppets. So you cannot read any expression at all, so it's just deadpan staring at each other for what seems like 30 seconds. It was probably not that long at all. When finally Uncle Traveling Matt breaks the ice, he's delighted to meet this penguin. He's like, oh, you're so cute and fluffy. I'll have to take you home, and I'll name you this, that, and the other thing. But the penguin's got other things in mind, because this penguin goes ninja on his ass. Blood and teeth are flying. This dude gets his ass kicked by a penguin. Now you gotta understand, I brought this along with me to the barbecue that Rich from the Dark Side Horror Movie Meetup Group was throwing in his apartment. So it was all folks from the group. They, you know, in between scarfing down, you know, bratwurst and, and burgers and corn, they were either playing Left 4 Dead or watching some horror movies. So I brought this along and I hadn't watched it yet. So I'm kind of nervous because I'm thinking, okay, I, I really probably should have screened this first because I'll get beaten to death if this is awful because everyone's drunk and it's hot. But when this penguin went ninja on an old man, the whole place went bananas and I said, I am safe for the next 90 minutes. And I was. Now, back to the story. The old man has just gotten his ass kicked by a penguin when from out of the fog comes a shadowy, ominous figure. A figure with long, stringy, oogie-boogie hair. The old man is knocked unconscious and dragged back to a dark, secret laboratory where we discover that the shadowy figure with the stringy hair that approached in the dark after the penguin did his dirty work is none other than Dr. Wolfgang Wagner, who naturally being an evil German mad scientist has a plan for world domination, of which the old man is the first step, or should I say, the first meal. Anyway, the entire first scene of the film is available on YouTube. I'm going to post it on the webpage, and I highly suggest you go over and check it out just to get an idea of how much detail went into the sets and the mood and the music and, and 
the comedy because there's a hell of a lot more coming down the works. So now we have the opening credit scene with this great soundtrack, which I heard a little bit of before, with a wonderful animated sequence that just really set the mood. So when we return, we discover that the next step in Dr. Wolfgang Wagner's plan for world domination is to invite a group of unsuspecting teenagers to his mansion in the middle of the woods to spend the night. And I enjoyed this part because this is a clear nod to the house on Haunted Hill because these teens all around town all get a letter in the mail that they have won the chance to win one million dollars. And all they have to do is survive the night in the Wagner mansion. Now, of course, there is no million dollars. There is no contest. Dr. Wolfgang Wagner wants these teenagers to be meat for his monster. Yeah, he's raising this itty bitty monster, little black monster with big claws and little like little T-Rex hands, which is cute, but apparently every time it eats, it gets bigger, a lot bigger. And its favorite food, teenagers, of course. I can't tell you how much fun we had watching this as a group because you've got, it's got something for everybody. It's got, <laughs> you got some puppet sex, you got crazy puppet nudity, you got gore, you got a monster that just rips through everybody, you got incredible voice work from a couple of the people, and a really tight script with a really witty sense of humor. Sure, there's, there's juvenile fart jokes and, and dick jokes and all kinds of stuff like that, but that's good too, isn't it? Isn't it? Of course it is. You're listening to the show. The whole show's about dick jokes and fart jokes. So the five kids that are going to the mansion are our hero, Charlie, who's an admitted pussy, his lovely girlfriend, Gwen, punk rock Iggy, his slutty girlfriend, Mona, and Raimi. Now, Raimi is the character that's out there for all of us horror geeks to identify with. We are all Raimi. And if you don't get that, I'm sure that's not to Sam Raimi. You know, maybe you've heard of him. But he's just so funny. He's always quoting horror movies and he's got a big lateral lisp and he's got acne and he's just the biggest nerd on the face of the planet and therefore the best character in the movie. Or should I say the second best character in the movie? But I'll come back to that. And once they get to the castle, it's your standard creepy old mansion. You know, the secret passages and winding hallways. Of course, uh, you know, the evil laboratory and all kinds of traps and surprises. And Jesus, this movie is fun. I highly recommend this. It's not available on Netflix, but it's only $15. Uh, and you can get it cheaper if you go to places like Deep Discount. But this is a great buy. I mean, for the art direction alone. Because I have read that Dustin Mills, the director, has said that this was made on a micro budget. And you would never know it. Because in addition to just the sets are wonderful and the puppets are wonderful, they use think this whole animated sequences, both like hand-drawn animation and CGI stuff. And it just all works. For the most part. I mean, it was weird to see a room full of straight horror movie heavy metal fans going bananas for some puppet boobs. Like they've never seen real boobs before. But you know what? It doesn't matter because they were puppet boobs. And that's awesome. Oh, and I also forgot one of the other great characters in it is Charlie's grandpa, Gramps. Who is, you know, this, this kindly old man who wears overalls and is very concerned about his grandson. He's also got a mouth like a truck driver and, you know, likes to talk about his balls a lot. And occasionally flashes wiener to Girl Scouts as they drive by on the bus. He's a great guy. We love Gramps. When I was talking to people afterwards, while everybody liked it, people also had some serious drawbacks with the film. Not, well, not serious, but things that could have worked better. A lot of people said it would have made a great short, that it ran on for too long. And I have to somewhat agree. 
And I think if there's another edit of this movie, like it could be fixed easily because a lot of the dialogue repeats itself or just goes on for too long or well, it just needed a red pencil here and there. There's a lot of extraneous dialogue that does not need to be in there that just bogs things down. For instance, the main uh, uh, Dr. Wolfgang Wagner puts out his plan for destroying the world repeatedly to each of the victims, verbatim, every time. And that was okay because it was a joke. But there are other things like, like Charlie... Charlie wants to win the money so that he can open up his dead parents' dime store. And you have a whole scene with him and Gramps talking about his reservations and how he misses the dollar store and this is my plan and I nearly need the money and this, that, and the other thing. And then you have a scene at the graveyard where he goes and visits his parents' uh, his parents' grave. That's the exact same dialogue, practically, again. Now, granted, it's a gorgeous set. The graveyard is breathtaking. And there should have been a scene there, but I would have liked different dialogue. The other problem that people seem to have was that the two romantic leads, Gwen and Charlie, the majority of people wanted them dead. They were too squeaky clean, and the voice work on the women in this is not as strong as the men. The men characters are all really quite good, but but Charlie, not so much. Unfortunately, Charlie and Gwen, they weren't grabbing the group of people that I saw it with. It might have been because their voice work was significantly less well done than all of the other voice work in the film, that they're plot line just seemed to drag on and on and on. We didn't care about either one of them or their stories, so just get back to the cool people. However, it didn't matter because of the best character in the movie. That fucking penguin. Every time that penguin showed up on camera, the whole room would go ape shit. Dustin Mills, if you're listening, there's your sequel right there because I, I, I don't know if we missed something because we were kind of drunk by the end of it. But we weren't, nobody seemed to know what happened to the penguin. We're like, uh-oh, there's the sequel, Puppet Monster Massacre 2, The Revenge of Squiggums. Did I mention the penguin's name was Squiggums? The penguin's name was Squiggums. How awesome is this character? Very awesome, that's your answer. But even with these flaws, even though I spent this much time on them, they don't ruin the movie at all. All because, like I said, there's so much love involved and skill and talent. And it really makes me excited to see what Dustin Mills has next in line. Because if he was able to do a movie this incredibly good on a micro budget, well then, sir, I shake your hand. Well, you know, the hand that's not in the puppet, you know, I'll shake the other one. Oh, God, what's that hand doing? That was dumb. I just, I just got to give a huge round of applause to everybody involved in the Puppet Monster Massacre because I picked this up at Horrorhound Weekend. And there's tons of independent movies at Horrorhound. Everybody's pushing something. And I got to say, a lot of the stuff, most of the stuff I've seen there has been garbage. The stuff I brought home has been garbage. And initially, I wasn't going to buy this at all. I saw the stand. I saw the puppets. And I was like, ooh, ooh, got to get it, got to get it. Then my little, my conscious stepped in and said, you know, it's just going to be bad. You're setting yourself up for heartbreak. But that last day on Sunday, you know, just before we left, it was like, hold on, Mr. Brad. I just got to step inside for one more minute. And I had ran, th ran through the whole aisles. And I'm like, oh, please don't be there. Please don't be there. Please don't be there. And they were. And I bought it. I'm like, hi, Patrick. I'm screaming. He's going to talk about the show one day. And they were like, uh-huh. Crazy person. But anyway, I bought it. I forgot I had it, unfortunately. I packed it away so good, it disappeared for a while. But it came back at just the right time to celebrate America's birthday and shit with a bunch of drunk people. And if you could please a room full of drunk people who are hot and overfed, well done, sir. The Puppet Monster Massacre. So you, sitting there, get off your ass and go support some quality independent cinema. Head on over to www.puppetmonstermassacre.com. And pick up a copy of Puppet Monster Massacre right now!
Don't make me sick my penguin on you. Mm-hmm. All right, kid, let's for a change of pace this week, I'm going to kick off the listener feedback section with a bit of email. And this email comes from Chris at the 42nd Street Drive-In Podcast. Which, by the way, I just guessed it on again, which you would have known had you gone over to the Scream Queens webpage or have been following me on Facebook or Twitter. I talk about the blind dead, and you know, you know what? The information's there. Look it up for yourself. Anyway, Chris writes in and says, How dare you? Now, I'm not sure if that's a misprint or if he's calling me a hoe or both. Regardless, he says, Patrick, not only do you use your appearance on our exciting and exhilarating show during your week off. What? Okay, is this even a sentence? Not only do you use your appearance on our exciting and exhilarating podcast during your week off. Not a sentence. You remove our link from your webpage. Question mark. Ugh, the nerve of me. The nerve of you to write me a fucking email that doesn't even have a coherent sentence. From what I'm getting, you're accusing me of taking your link off of my webpage. And I just checked. It's still there. So based on the fact that you can't write a coherent sentence nor find a clearly marked link in the podcast section of my webpage, you're drunk. D-R-Unk. Drunk. He continues. I've attempted to download your shitty homework assignment movie, and it looks like I finally have it in its entirety after six tries. Okay, listen, I never told you to download anything, okay? I told you to go over to stage, uh, stageview.com so you can watch Flesh Eating Mothers. It's streaming on there. I didn't tell you to download crap. I don't encourage that sort of thing. So if you want to go ahead and break the law, don't fork it on me, missy. Anyway, he says, I have no choice but to do a review of this monstrous failure on your show to regarner some of our fully deserved attention. You need not thank me for having my appearance You need not thank me for having my appearance keeping your miserable excuse of a show afloat. Your fans wallowing at the mere sound of my voice is nearly thanks enough. Chris, 42nd Street, drive in. P.S. Audio clip of review to follow. P.P. Okay, then he writes something personal. <laughs> Please. Eight and a half inches? Nobody's believing that, Chris. Okay, so as of this date, as I'm recording this, I have not received a review of flesh-eating mothers from Chris at the 42nd Street Drive-In Podcast. So, some of you might be wondering why I haven't covered the movie for this episode like I promised. Well, I didn't because I got this email from Chris promising me he was sending in a review, which he didn't. His homework is late, and now the whole class has to be held back because Chris is drunk. So all of you who wrote in and called in about flesh-eating mothers, hopefully we'll be able to hear everything you said next week if Chris can be bothered to sober up and pick up the goddamn phone. My apologies to you, Joe from Cincy. I got your calls. And Mark and Steven and... Where the hell are you from? Well, I was Steven. I don't know where the fuck you're from, but I'll tell I'll announce where you're from next week when we're covering the fucking movie. I can't wait to hear what Chris calls in about. I'm sure he'll just rattle on about slow motion horses or some crap. When I guessed it to talk about the Tombs of the Blind Dead, he interrupts me every two seconds to go on and on and on like an idiot savant about how awful the slow motion horses are in the movie. Yet... In the same episode, when they cover the other three movies in the series, he's wetting himself about how awesome slow motion horses are. So not only is he a drunk idiot savant, he's a bipolar cunt face. That's my word. I'm sticking it all up in ya. Hey, Patrick. 
It's Kristen from Michigan. Hi, Kristen. Uh, I emailed you a few times, but I just oh. had to call. I just listened to the newest episode. Oh, hold on. Green Queens. And I just had to call and leave my two cents about ticked off trannies with knives. I'm always. I absolutely loved this movie. Oh, it was great, great, great. fabulous and just everything that a great schlocky horror movie should be. But I have to say the one part that did make me really cringe was at the end, I won't spoil it, but mm-hmm. um, one of the ladies gets stabbed with a knife that has been in a certain orifice. Yeah. Oh, and uh, uh, I just started screaming at this at the screen at that point. Oh my god, disinfect, disinfect. <laughs> so I just had to share that and tell you what a uh, oh. great show I think you have and uh I hope everything is going well with you. Thank you. <laughs> and uh your family and I'm glad to hear that you are better, getting better and yeah, yeah. I'm glad to hear your cat is better and uh take care. Bye. Well, I thank you, Kristen. Girl, there ain't enough Purell in the world to make better where that knife had been. Anyway, Kristen, 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 I have got to congratulate you for, well, what a great call. What a nice, short, sweet, to-the-point call. Dare I say, this call was pithy. And you know, I think some of my other listeners can learn something about your economy of words. Mixed with a maximum of sentiment. Well done, Kristen. Thank you for calling, and um, talk to you soon. Bubka, I called. You don't call your grandmother anymore. It hurts <sighs> me, darling. It hurts oh, me. You don't know. You don't know from hurting. I know. There, from you got the Jewish grandmother. It really sucked, like I warned you it would. This oh, is on. Badger Angel, also Badger known as Dora Onyx on Twitter. Um, darling. You told me to call back, so I had to. It's so nice to know that you love me. I love um, you. Cheese comparison. The Abominable Dr. Fives is, as you stated so eloquently, a very fine Gouda, whereas uh-huh. Dr. Terror's House of Horrors is more along the lines of, you know when you were sick when you were a kid yes. and your mother would make you a grilled cheese sandwich and some nice With tomato soup? soup? It's the cheese and the grilled cheese sandwich. I'll take that. It's comforting mm-hmm. to know that such a cheese exists. Mm-hmm. And it's not good for anyway, you at all, but that's okay. So, Gay Pride Month? Yes. New York dot... Not, <laughs> gay people can get married in New York now. Yeah, woot. how about that shit? Serious woot. I am so proud of, uh, I'm so proud of New York. I'm so yeah. proud for our people. Yeah. Because, no, I know, I know, I know. I'm not a gay. I'm not a lesbian. I'm the lowly bi who just kind of stands on the sides and says, we're over, we're over here. Oh. Yeah, hi, hi there. Yeah, we're, we're, we're over here. Um, so, <laughs> I'm sorry. Every time, every, every time I've ever mentioned that I'm bisexual to a gay person, they go, oh, you can't make up your mind. Really? I usually, like, oh, well, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait, hold um, on. I usually just say, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Please continue. And it's like, oh, well, thanks. Appreciate that. Um, <laughs> whereas, in my opinion, it's just that I like to get all the pleasure I can out of life. Yeah, right um, on, Maude. So, uh, what what the hell was that? Oh, Vincent Price. 
you must do a Vincent Price show because I have to hear you. I have to hear you say the line. I have to hear you say the line. Just call me Butch. And I Honey, know you know what that. Hold on. Hold um, episode five, sweetheart. I already God, did that. Right, but he rocks that hair. Um, what else? What else? What else? What else? What else? What else? Been there, done that. Velma. Yes. yes, Velma is a lesbian. Velma has yep. always been a lesbian. Please. In my opinion, in my and, and Rule Thirty Four of the Internet says that if it exists, there is internet porn of it. Ergo, ugh, ugh. if you Google search no. Velma from Scooby Doo, <laughs> you can find a full color drawing <laughs> of Velma on all fours <laughs> with Scooby. <laughs> Okay, this was bad. found by accident one day when my little girl asked me, Mommy, oh, can you accident. find me a Velma picture that I can color? And I said, sure, honey, I'll be happy to. This showed up <clears throat> in full color where my little girl could see it because I Google searched. Uh-huh. Her response to seeing it was, Mommy, why are Velma and Scooby-Doo wrestling? Thank all gods, she's still innocent. Uh-huh. Otherwise, her childhood um, would have crumbled. Anyway, other than that, nothing much. Uh, thinking, hoping, praying, please goddess, that I can come to Horror Hound next year so that <gasps> I can, you know, hang out with you and Mr. Brad. Hi, Mr. And Brad. You're made out of wind. Forgive me for, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're awesome. Hi, Mr. Brad. You sound cute anyway. And you were cute because I saw you on TV. You're both cute. And uh, Thanks, thank nice you save. again, Auntie Queen for the wonderful advice that you gave me on Twitter. And much love. love. Much love. And uh, I'll be emailing you. Later days. This is Badger Angel. Bye-bye. Ah, my beloved Badger Angel. Know that I love you. And know that I already covered Theater of Blood in episode 5. 30 episodes ago. I also profess my undying love for all things Diana Rigg and Maggie Smith and Haley Mills. But you know what? Now that I think of it, I don't think I said the line. I think I just played a clip. So here you go. Hey. Hi. I'm Butch. Hey. Dishy, dishy hair. I can't wait to get my hands in it. Are you happy now? Can we all go on with our lives? Good. And by the way, I want to correct one thing that I said. When I said, uh, when somebody tells me they're bisexual and I go, mm-hmm, that's usually because it's a guy. For some reason, I don't buy it with guys. I always find with guys, bisexual goes to full-on gay after about three months. Uh, I, I could be wrong. I mean, I'm sure there are bi guys out there for real, but I'm just saying the ones I run into, well... I guess I'm just so hot, I just washed that bi right out of their hair. Oh, yeah, I washed that bi right out of their hair. Yeah, because that's sexy, Patrick. Yeah, nothing sexier than Nellie Forbush. <laughs> and one thing I definitely am not is Nellie Forbush. Get it? Get it? See what I did there? Oh, my God, that's terrible. Thank you for calling, baby. And tell your Jewish grandmother she made me very happy. Yeah, me, the kid with this Goya Shapunum. Feh. Next call. So it's come to this. I've done nothing but try to be kind and stimulate some conversation and try to throw out kind words and, you know, even gentle refrain and nice things. 
and now even the listeners have turned against me. I yep. thought we were all simpatico, and I got some praise before, but now I'm being attacked. It's horrible. Witch hunt! Oh, this, is, this is Zombar calling. Uh-huh. Um, I just listened to the last episode. Yes. I was going to call in with all kinds of, you know, sugary goodness. I have watched uh, Ticked Off Trannies with Knives. Yes. And I was calling in my review for it. Um, and I was also going to talk about my experience with the Ryan case. Who? Um, I don't know now. There's so <clears> much more information out there. I, I feel as if, you know, I'm almost like the villain of the show now. You and brought it on yourself. I just do that. You brought it on yourself. I just call in more annoying things than ever. Use up more time than ever. Try to spam more than ever. Yay! Uh, do I? Uh, oh, I can't. Spit it out. Patrick, you know I love you and it's a healthy relationship. I feel like we're Ike and, you know, Tina. And every time I do something nice, you smack me and say dance harder. Oh, Oh. Please, bitch, I'm Tina Turner. Oh, okay. I'll Don't go flatter ahead yourself. Give, give you what I'm going to do. I'll just save all the nice stuff for the end in case Mr. Brad Machine cuts me off again. Okay. Take off Want to bet? I watched it. I thought it was really good. It good. was basically everything you said with the grindhouse and all that. I also agree that Rachel Slur character was awesome. Wasn't I was she fabulous? A comparison that if anyone likes Britney on Glee, how's oh, that for getting your gay going? Uh, uh, yeah, uh, it's basically uh, kind of the same character. It's the kind of understated, kind of almost Sarah Silverman-like response type, where it's just kind of like he's fighting a little bitch here, like bitch, and it it makes makes the joke work. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Um, I would say uh, I, w- I would give it about a C, probably. I enjoy it. Oh, it is for what it is. I can understand people not liking it. Yeah. I don't think I need to see it again. The ending didn't hold up. I did like the characters nope. in general. Uh, I thought Bubbles was fine when Bubbles was in trouble. And uh, when they were attacking the house, I actually felt concerned. So they must have uh-huh. done something right at some point. So, yeah, it is what it is. I say watch it. And I totally think that I've had those conversations before. Just well, at Rocky Horror or somewhere. I think uh, everyone's been in the conversation about whether or not buy means buy. <laughs> and uh, I hear and more I just often than not that buy now be later plant. So. Ben Whatever. Uh, Alright, let's talk about the Ryan case. I yes! I'm came all out ears. to New York last weekend, the 4th of July. Patrick begged on hands and knees, saying, Oh, I'll cover half your ticket. Please come see me. No one likes my show. Everyone I, hates I me. I didn't say that. Okay, well, I said the first part. I did beg. Um, but he did say, Come see the show. And me and uh, my girlfriend, he said, Okay, we'll come see it. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had a lot to live up to, because we had just seen uh, Bengal Tiger at the Baghdad Zoo, and we had just got to shake hands with Mr. Robin Williams. So we were coming off pretty high, high, saying, okay, so we just saw this amazing show, and now we're tramping through Chinatown in the middle of nowhere looking for a church. <laughs> and we get there, and i got to say, we both left uh, pretty happy. For it. It, was a, it was definitely the murder mystery type thing. Um, brief overview without giving you any details because any details would ruin it is that basically you're part of a group that you go around the city and you kind of look for uh, people that would be involved in the case and they're all dressed in period clothing and they're kind of signaled on by what you're wearing and what you're carrying around Mm. and it's it's pretty cool because we just walk along and some random guy would just run up to us and start like telling us all this information about the case 
And I think the thing that kind of determines whether or not the show is good is, sadly, a lot of it depends on who's in your group. Yeah. I had this dickhole in my group. I'm going to use the word dickhole here, meaning dickhole. Uh, his name was Ephraim. And Ephraim? He didn't get the concept of, hey, we're supposed to be police officers. He got it like everyone was connected. He didn't understand the idea of what improv was. So he would just like walk up to some random person who's like pretending to sell coal or do whatever you're doing, and he just like start throwing everything we just heard from the last person at her. And we're like, you know, you gotta play a little good cop, bad cop. Ask the questions. Don't just come over and say, hey, we heard this, 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 and this, because you know people are gonna react like you do. Mm-hmm. They say, they say, oh, it's not. Oh, Zombart, you make it so easy. Okay, everybody that bet on Zombart going over the time limit, cha-ching, you are this week's winners. But you know what? He called back, so we're all losers. No, I'm just kidding. Let's see what he's got to say. Since he's talking about me. Oh, you're not getting rid of me that easily. I called back. Yes, I did. And I'll keep calling back until I get my thought out there. Ah! Okay. Wow. Um, anyway, I was saying, we had this guy in our group named Ephraim who was totally kind of harsh on our buzz, and apparently we missed lots of the good, funny stuff, because there's only so much time you get question each person, and this guy up. was totally derailing us at every turn. Um, just asking weird, crazy shit. I mean, people would be like, after a while, even the actors would be like, okay, you're not allowed to talk, kind of thing. Uh-huh. And even I referred to him as Monk a couple of times, because he asked things that didn't make sense. Of course, in the end, he didn't solve the case, so he wasn't like a bad Monk, I guess. Uh, but whatever it was, I would say it was a really good show. I enjoyed myself. It was two hours Great. long. You do get some exercise walking around. And, yeah, it, it's very, it's rather provocative. I mean, it's an adult show. Uh-huh. Uh, it's adult situations, and it makes you think. And it, it's part of the fun of trying to throw out the mysteries and uh, try to figure out what things are. So I would say it has the Zombart approval. And ding, I think ding, you ding, probably ding, ding, would ding, agree ding. with me because we're fast friends now, apparently or hopefully, or I'm dreaming again. What? Um, but, yeah, it is what it is. Uh, grew up and liked it, too. Uh, Patrick, oh, you are, of course, uh, not that you need any ego rubbing, but of course you were the best part of it. We uh, Just because we knew who you were and what was. you do. And plus, you're there. I mean, uh, how do I put this? I don't know, but take a long time to think about you, it. I think it's the lack of shame. Yeah, I think that's it. I, I, lost it. I mean, none of, the, none of them were scared to do their parts. But you were up on a park bench preaching the gospel, just yelling things out and getting the stares. And, yeah, it, it, was, it was pretty good. Like, I was watching the reaction of people around us, and I was like, wow, they're almost really confused. And I liked that. Chinese and that people. was fun. And it's... It, did he just get hung up on again? Okay, I don't know what just happened, but I'm going to go on record here and say that it had nothing to do with Mr. Bra- he was nowhere near the time limit. He was at 2 minutes and 15 seconds, which is, you know, like nothing for him. Maybe his phone just got tired of listening to him. I don't know. Regardless, Zombart, I'm glad you guys can make it. I'm glad you had a good time, and I am sorry about that, dude. That is the problem with this kind of theater. Your group that you're with is part of the show. And ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dickhole, 
is exactly what this guy was. Zombard is not kidding. Anytime I had, like, I've got a lot of the really juicy stuff to purvey. Like, I found one of the bodies. I've got a lot of dirty stuff to talk about. And lots of little inner secrets that if you don't ask the right questions, I don't, I don't, I don't give them up. You know, that's part of the game. And literally every time I was about to get on a roll, this guy would chime in with like, do you know if Mary likes cheese? Or something totally so stupid and off the wall that it would stop me in my tracks. And it wasn't just stopping me in my tracks, but he would literally get in my face to do it. With his big stupid smile and with his ugly chest hair hanging out. And be like, did Mary like cheese? And you can't not ignore it. And then not, you can't get back on the roll. And he would not let you get back on the roll. And the first, at first I thought he was just being enthusiastic. And I apologize to Zombard about this. Because it took me a little too long to realize that this guy was a dickhole. You got to give people the benefit of a doubt. The, the doubt after a while, but after like the third or fourth time he interrupted me, I'm like, okay, you need to move to the back of the group and shut this motherfucker up, and he would not be silenced. Fuck you, Ephraim. Fuck you. And by the way, my wife is not pretending to sell coal. That bitch rakes in about $10 a night from tourists buying that crap, so she is indeed selling coal. So it is all real out there. And Zombart, I really wish you would stop referring to your girlfriend as just your girlfriend, and actually use her name on here once in a while, because I know I met her, and she's lovely, I actually love, for the, you know, five minutes I talked to her, I thought she was fantastic, and she was great out in the, out on the, and um, you know, out on the course, so to speak, I know you told me her name, but after your, you know, conversation from a couple of weeks ago, my brain has already labeled her Penny, and now I don't know what her actual name is, and I asked Mr. Brad what her name was, and he said, Penny? I'm like, I know it's not Penny. But you did that, Zombart. You put that in our heads. There's nobody to blame but you. And I don't have any shame. Have you not figured that out yet? Have you listened to this show? And I am used to those confused people in the park. Oh, my God. Because where I am, it's Chinatown, like you know. So almost everybody out there is Chinese and a senior citizen who are just sitting, having a quiet day in the park, usually by themselves. And they'll sit there for hours just happily doing whatever they're doing, which is usually not a lot of anything. And I come through screaming like a maniac, jumping on things, yelling at people, waving my dingle around, and they don't say a word, and they don't really move either, but I can only imagine what they're thinking. They're thinking, wow, that guy is gay. And I'm also glad you uh, you, you got a, the kick you got out of a TikTok trainings with knives. And unfortunately... Uh, not everybody did. I got an email this week that I want to talk about, um, about the more serious side of the film that, um, well, let's just get into it, shall we? Okay, so Jenny wrote in regarding ticked off trannies with knives, and on the last show, I had questioned some of the controversy, what was going on about it, that I didn't understand, and she kindly, uh, wrote in with, uh, a link to about the main issues, uh, from the movie, about the movie, rather, from actual transgender people. And she has a link here, and I'll be putting putting that on the website, because there's a lot of stuff on here I was not aware of. Because to be perfectly honest, when I Googled stuff, uh, Googling ticked off trannies and controversy, the only thing that came up was what came up with GLAD, which was over the title. I just kept getting the same associated press reports over and over again. However, this site has a lot more on it. Uh, one of the main things that really shocked me, that apparently in the original trailer, he used the image 
of a transgender woman named Angie Zapata who was brutally murdered uh, by a man who later claimed he did so because he was surprised at Angie's genitalia and that it did not match her gender expression, as it says. And this caused um, international outrage. And she's the, I don't want to say poster child because it sounds demeaning. I can't think of the right word. She is the, all right, I'm just going to say poster child. She is a a touchstone. She is the um, Matthew Shepard of the transgender community. And evidently, I don't know how she was used in the trailer, but she was. I think that is really offensive. I mean, for anybody, when you're exploiting actual deaths for any fictional movie, it gets oogie for me. I don't like that. And a lot of these articles are extremely interesting, and I highly recommend people go over and check these out. I will put the link, like I said, on there. Uh, But Jenny also continued. She said, "Uh, the issue is that the the transgendered people in the film are treated as novelty rather than fully-fledged people. And there's also the issue of using the names of actual trans murder victims to promote the movie, which was made by a gay white male. I like y'all's podcast, but couldn't you at least investigate the criticisms from genuinely disenfranchised groups before watching a film next time? A bit of sensitivity is all I ask. Okay, Jenny, I see your point. I'm claiming ignorance on a lot of that. Not that that excuses anything, and not like I'm asking to be excused for anything either. Um, I have a better understanding of why the word tranny is offensive now. I didn't understand it before. I do now. I will think twice before using it out of the context of this this particular movie, just for discussion's sake, for now. But um, the problem with electronic conversation and emails and typed letters is that you can't read into the writer's you know intention or their inflection or intonation. I'm rather put off, to be perfectly honest, by how you phrase some of these things. For instance, he says, I like y'all's podcast, but couldn't you at least investigate the criticism from genuinely enfranchised groups before watching a film next time? Uh, I tried to do as much research as I did. I googled. I talked to my friend Jonah, who is now Our Lady J, who is a transsexual woman, who loved the movie, and I spoke to some of her friends, and I heard no problems from it. So I did try to do some research. But the tone of this email is a little snarky for my taste. And since we're going to talk about a little sensitivity being needed, I'm a little put off by the fact that you say, um, uh... The issue was using the names of actual trans murder victims to promote a movie which was made by a white gay male. What does that have to do with anything? I mean, I get it. It wasn't made by a transgender female, but what does his race have to do with anything? Now, I'm nitpicking now, but this is what... If you're going to talk about sensitivity, be sensitive in how you bring it up, okay? I still love you, Jenny. I'm not mad at you. I'm just saying, like, I, the, the, the tone of this, I probably am misreading. But you have educated me, and I do appreciate that, and I highly recommend everybody go out there and check out this link to these many, many articles and get a look into a world that I am not as familiar with as I should be, and maybe you'd like to learn about too. So, Jenny, for all my snark, thank you for writing in. Hey, Patrick, this is Trey. Hey, Trey. call in, and and first thing I want to do is say I'm really sorry about the the problems you and your sister have been having. I I really hope that things go well for both of you. It sounds like you're you're on the mend, and I really hope your sister follows you. So best of wishes. Um, (sighs) But actually, I was calling because I listened to your Pride episode, and it's called Blood and Beefcakes, and you were talking about Dead Boys Don't Scream, which I actually saw. Oh, my God. Fozzie Bear said something that, that, that... sort of I was going to talk about was I'm sorry. other gay-themed horror movies, and I called them specifically to talk about Dave Dakota films. Um, yes, Dave please Dakota do. Dave Dakota is this openly gay director who does a lot of gay-themed horror movies. Basically, if you've ever seen the Brotherhood series, he does that stuff. Yeah. 
And the thing is, I know who this guy is because I've been watching his stuff since the mid-'80s. Because in the 80s, he did a shitload of movies. He directed them. They had, you know, actresses like Linnea Quigley, Brink Stevens in them. I think <laughs> the, he did um, Sorority Babes in the Slime Ball Bolorama. I love that movie. Sisters, Creepazoids. But these movies had a big impact on me growing up because I love campy trash. I mean, they were fun. They were silly. They were, silly they were goofy. They were fun. Mm-hmm. And they had a shitload of female nudity. If you were a woman in the movies in the 80s, and you were in one of his movies, all your clothes were coming off, and he was going to show everything. And uh-huh. I didn't give a shit about that. But the cool thing is, once in a while, <laughs> Obviously. You had me worried. So I was 14, internet hadn't been invented, so I, I was all for it. So anyway, in the 2000s, he started doing horror films that were aimed, I think that originally said at a female audience, which really meant gay dudes. Uh-huh. So were horror films that instead of having a scantily clad young woman running around, it was scantily clad young boys. And I was, mm-hmm. I was all for it. You know, I was thinking, great. You know, horror movie with maybe a little gay sensibility, a little campiness, and if there's a half-naked guy in it, I'm not going to complain. Okay. And he did The Brotherhood, and it sucked. And that's what I heard. And the thing is that all of his movies he's done since then have been really just pieces of shit. That's what I've heard. said that, you know, who are, what audience are these movies made for? And that's that's what made me think of Dave Dakota, because who is he making these movies for? Because if you've ever seen any of the Brotherhood movies or anything he's done, it's it's pointless. It's, the first thing is they're not scary. No. There's no atmosphere, Mm-mm. no spookiness. It's about as scary as an episode of Fantasy Island. I mean, it, That can be scary. Just, hey, bare bones, simmer down nothing now. ambitious. It's, it's, it's nothing. It's stupid. The second thing is it's not campy. Some of the movies he did in the 80s, like, you know, Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers uh-huh. or Slave Girls from Beyond Infinity. I can get behind shit like that because it's so stupid, it's fun. I mean, I Absolutely. like that stuff. And a gay guy doing these kind of movies, you know, he's going to have an eye for camp. These movies aren't even trying to be campy. It's just people in a single location getting knocked off. No humor, no over-the-top, nothing. Uh-huh. So they're not scary and they're not campy, and they sure as fuck aren't sexy. And no. And that's point, is if... An openly gay director who did movies with full female nudity in the 80s is doing movies like, you know, for gay guys now, he, he, he has boys running on a boxer brace. Uh, and it looks yeah. like they're packing at least two pairs of Speedos under the boxer brace. I noticed that. It, it gets really ridiculous how, how he's not going to show any male nudity. In one of the movies, this guy starts taking a shower. He's at school after hours, gets something happens. So he says he needs to take a shower. Uh-huh. So he strips down to his tidy waddies and then takes a four-minute-long shower. So for four minutes, the camera's going up his body and down his body. Up his body and down his body. It's obviously supposed to be titillating. But he's wearing a pair of tidy whities and who the fuck wears underwear when they're showering? That's retarded. And not retarded. only the tidy <laughs> probably got five pairs on because when underwear gets wet, it turns it's see-through. His underwear he's wearing, it wasn't see-through. It was pointless. It was like... It's like watching a soap opera where they're trying to be all titillating. And I was thinking, <laughs> okay, dude, dude, you, you got to at least show some ass. Come on. I mean, come on. What's the point of this movie? Yeah. So anyway, that's what I wanted to say is just this Dave Dakota guy, he's, he's openly gay and he's doing horror movies. I'm guessing they're aimed at gay guys because they're pretty homoerotic. Eh. But heaven forbid he actually shows a guy's ass. I mean, I don't eh. want to see everything, but just who, who are you making these movies for? Because you know gay guys, we like our nudity. So I wanted to say that. And also, you'd ask a question about if you had an unlimited budget, which crappy horror movie would you remake? Now, yes. And I couldn't quite think of a crappy horror movie I wanted to remake, 
But I did think of a movie that it's time for another remake of it. And one of my favorite books is Agatha Christie's And Then There Were None. Yeah. I love it. I, I it love you, Trey. Years old. <laughs> it's like the Trey? Oh, son of a bitch. Is my love that scary? <laughs> See how it is? I say I love you and people just disappeared. You got zombarded. Victim number two. Wow. I didn't expect it from you. And it's such it's such a point in our relationship. God, you've said all right. Let's just get the you know you've said so much already that I want to comment on, but I gotta get to hear the rest of the call because it's getting so juicy, and I like it juicy. Hey, Patrick, this is Trey again. I Hi. Got cut off the last time I'm the new Zombart. Yeah, well, but ding 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 ding. Brother, call if you don't want to, but I was just talking about movies that remake, and I was saying I do, and then there were none. Um, basically, I love the book. It's a great oh, yes, yes, yes. film. It seems like every couple's Every 10 years or so, they do another version of it. But the one cool thing about it is all the movies have been the ending of a play. And Agatha Christie yes. wrote the book, really great book, kind of a downbeat ending, and she turned it into a play, and so they asked her to make the ending happier, so she gave it a yeah. happier ending. And all well, you can't do that ending on stage. Ending the play. Well, the book's got such a great ending, and it's such a great story, and a lot of kids now probably haven't even heard of it or vaguely know, you know, Tindall Indians. So I'd remake Agatha Christie's And Then There Were None or, or Tindall Indians, and I give it the original ending of the book. It's a great story, really downbeat, kind of mean-spirited. So that's what I'd do if I had a budget. Anyway, talk to you later. Bye. Oh, my God, Trey. What a fantastic six minutes that was. I swear to God, if you weren't already married, I'd pounce on you myself. Oh, yeah, I'm kind of already tied up, too. Because you got to understand, Trey, I'm, I'm listening to this. The same day that we just had our showgirls, Jerry Blank conversation. So this, this, our ships have passed in the night. This was our moment. And now it's over. So anyway, where to even start? Okay, David Cato, thank you for talking about him. Yeah, I, I had not, I had heard the name floated around for forever. I had seen a lot of his movies not knowing who he was. I've seen, uh, like I saw, I talked, that movie I talked about last week, Dream Maniac, which has really got really much gayer than I remembered, and I didn't remember being gay at all, as I said, but now we're talking about that right now. Slimeball Babes in the Bolo, in the Slimeball Bolorama, I love, and it's one of those rare movies that Linnea Quigley keeps her clothes on. Nobody else does, but Linnea Quigley does. And you're right, his movies have completely lost their sense of humor and their gayness and just about everything, and it just seems to be cashing in on a quick buck now. And I know he worked for Full Moon Studios, too, and, you th- and he made porn, too. He was in gay porn and directed gay porn. Okay, so we're talking about like 30 years of movie making, and he's boiled down to this. You know, these awful brotherhood movies. I mean, I guess it's quick cash for no work. And oh my god, have you seen the trailer for 1313 Nightmare Mansion, which is another one of his of people walking around in white underwear, that stars Fabio, who won Survivor last year? It just looks wretched. Again, I watch it going, who would watch this movie? It's clearly not scary. It's clearly not sexy. All the guys have girl hair. I hate that. I hate that. I don't know. Bring me back to the good old days of, of you're right, absolutely ridiculous titles. Like Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers and and all those others. Well, give me porn. That works too. I'm not fussy. And, oh God, and then there were none. I have to tell you a little secret. I was going to cover that on the show at some point because that is actually the movie that I remember that started to lean me towards the horror genre, or at least send me down that path. I remember seeing it with my family, the 1945 version, that is, when I was very young, and 
I fell in love with it because it was spooky, but not too scary. And there was something about the systematic elimination of the characters that just had me enthralled. And when I say systematic elimination, it sounds like I'm talking about pooping, but I'm not. I'm talking about them getting killed. But it was just such, there was a, there was a formula to it. And I guess the math of it apply, appealed to me, even at that young age, even though I can't do math anymore, but that's not the fucking point right now. What I'm talking about is you are absolutely right too about the book's ending. And I thought that too. I'm like, gosh, why didn't they do that in the play in the movie? But in the play, it would be virtually impossible to do that ending. And in the movie, the Hayes Code would not have allowed them to do the ending of that movie, uh, the ending that's in the book. Because according to the Hayes Code, the villain always has to be punished and the heroes have to be rewarded. So that was never going to fly. However, like you said, every decade or so, there's a fucking remake of it. And every decade or so, the remake is fucking awful. The one in the 60s isn't bad. It's not good either, but it's got that funky, you know, whodunit break, the end. And they replaced the old lady with that funky girl, that funky hip, you know, mod 60s girl that I like so much. Then in the 70s, with fucking Elky Summer, that one is wretched. Wretched. And sometime in the late 80s is a very little known one starring Frank motherfucking Stallone. Don't see it. Claw your eyes out before you see it. But you're right. The time is right to give us the actual ending. It can be done now. The world is ready. And um, you'd be surprised, Trey. I used to train, well, when I was, um, when I was pursuing a, a degree in education for a while there, when I was doing my student teaching, uh, and then there were none was pretty much always on the junior high school reading list. Maybe not required reading, but it was on their recommended reading. So, you know, kids are still, uh, I just totally burped. Oh my God. Well, that's what Agatha Christie does to me. Um, well, gosh, whatever point I was going to make, I just derailed with my own gas. With my own systematic elimination. <laughs> oh, God. When the show has finally devolved to this level of sophistication, it is time not only to wrap this puppy up for the week, it is time to put this puppy down. Now, before I go, I did want to give a huge thank you to Fozzie Bear over at the Podcast Podcast for allowing me to guest on his show last week. And if you didn't check it out, you should head on over to thepodcastpodcast.com or search Fozzie Bear in the iTunes store, which is F-O-Z-Z-I-E-B-A-R-E. You know, like he's all naked and stuff. Or you could just go over to the Scream Queens website and look at the new blog entries that I've been posting. Oh, yeah, I'm trying to... I haven't had that whole snark talk column there since the beginning, and I've barely used it. But I'm trying to gather a little more attention to the site, so I've been writing things when I get the chance. So... I invite you to go over there and check some stuff out. You'll also find a link to when I guessed it over on the 42nd Street Podcast, as you've already heard this show, even though I barely get a word in edgewise thanks to Chris the Cuntface. But that's not the point right now. The point is, it's time for another contest. That's right, I have got a secret prize to give away to the first person who tweets me the brand new obscenity that I taught you all in one of those blog posts. That's right, somewhere in my ramblings, there is a shocking new obscenity for you to spread to all of your friends. And the first person who can tell me what that obscenity is and to whom it is referring will get a super secret prize. I'm not telling you what it is, but it's pretty fucking awesome. Now you're wondering, but Patrick, how do I reach you on Twitter? Well, very simple. You find me by searching Scream Queens, and that's Queens with a Z. It's the same way you find me on Facebook, so get on it because there's all kinds of super secret information 
information going down on there all the time. You know, like all those Netflix viewing parties and videos of Mr. Brad singing in the shower that he doesn't know about. You never know what's going to happen. So don't get left out. Why am I talking like this? I got some late-breaking news while I was putting together the voicemail section for the show this evening, and I discovered that friend of the show and occasional caller, Hogan, he had to put his super awesome cat, Mr. Mick, to sleep this week. And uh, Hogan, for me and Mr. Brad and everybody here at the Scream Queens headquarters and the listening audience, we give you a big, squishy hug. Mmm. Mmm. <gasps> Okay, I'm weirding myself out. But you know what? If you want to be like all these cool people that called in this week or wrote in, well, you could do that by picking up your phone and calling me at 347-767-3509. Or you can write me at crew at screamqueens.com. And that's queens with a Z. That's correct. Or you can like me on Facebook. Or you can follow me on Twitter. You know how to do that now. Either way, let's hook up, bitches. Get in touch with me, because I want to get in touch with you. I can't stay away from the creepy. But you know what? That's what the fucking show is all about. So there's no real homework this week, because Chris fucked everything up. So Flesh Eating Mothers is still on the table. If you didn't check it out over at stageview.com, go over there and watch it streaming. Streaming. Don't download it like thieves. Certain long-haired Jesus-faced thieves. Because piracy is for cunt faces. So next week, we will be going over flesh-eating mothers, hopefully, if Miss Thing gets off her butt. And we're going to be taking a look at the new Hammer film called Wakewood. And it should be out on DVD by then. I got a special advanced screening of it because I'm awesome. But if you want to play along at home, add it to your Netflix queue. Do it now! Beat the rush. So, kidlets, until next time, continue to make the world a creepier place. And remember, as my grandmama used to say, Christ! It's so human out, I got Spanish moss growing out of my ass crack. Bye! I go hunting for witches. Heads up, going to roll. Some of the music for tonight's program has been provided by Mavio's Music Service. Check them out at music.mavio.com. Bitches! <laughs>